0: extra shots of espresso in it because I am feeling pretty jazzy. So I don't really know what's coming up and going to come out this morning, but be prepared for all of it. My wife told me this morning I look like a tourist. And as you know, you can't give me a compliment that good without me trying to go full full bore. If I had a camera that had a neck thing, I would wear it. And this is the only day in my life I wish I had like brown leather strappy sandals that I could have worn with my black socks. I would have went full go, and we would, you know, just snapping Polaroids at you guys as I preach and shaking them, handing them out, but uh, a couple things I want to bring your attention to before we kind of get started on this new sermon today, I always try to highlight a couple things because we do have so many things going on, and that's a blessing, and it's a little bit of a curse just because sometimes some of the things we have going on can fall on deaf ears, right, because there's just so much, you get overloaded, but we have some really awesome opportunities for prayer happening in our church right now. The first one I'm going to talk about happens on Sunday nights now. Allie's going to come up here. She's going to be up here at 7 o'clock, and uh, she's going to be here praying, right? It's 30 minutes, uh, right? 30 minutes to an hour, give or take. The Spirit the spirit may lead you a little longer, right? But you read some Scripture, you pray. I promise you, if you come, you will not regret it. It will be a powerful moment for you. Also, uh, we have an opportunity for you to be part of something big with prayer during the actual service Uh, That takes place while I preach and it doesn't require any extra time from when you would normally come on a Sunday I'm trying to get as many people as possible to volunteer for this so that we can do a bigger rotation We have had some volunteers so far and I'm working on getting a schedule put together I thought I'd have it together quicker, but some of those volunteers volunteer for other things And so I've got to kind of come up with a schedule that works with their other volunteerisms, right? because I don't want to double book anybody so What would help is if more people would say hey, you know what? I can pray, okay? I need people who are okay with being bad at prayer, no such thing, but I need people who aren't confident with prayer, okay? There is such thing because lots of people (laughs) express that to me, but if you're willing to pray for our church, for our congregation, for individuals that you may not even know, talk to me after service today about what that opportunity looks like, and uh, guys, I'm telling you, I'm excited for what God's doing in this place. I'm going to I'm like jazzer-sized about this series, okay? I've never done jazzercise, but I'm going to go pick up a video today because I got energy. I'm telling you, I am, whew, I'm on one. I got to take some deep breaths. We are in Romans, the principles of Romans. Check out that graphic, by the way, okay? Evan Plinnis does our graphics and he kills them. But this one, I'm going to find a way to put on a t-shirt because that is awesome, right? So a little background about Romans. If you come Uh, to our wednesday night the gathering you know that we went through paul's missionary journeys uh, a while ago and one of those things we covered was his third missionary journey which is actually when paul wrote the book of romans during that third missionary journey now he wrote this letter without having actually been to rome yet okay but rome was a giant city Right A giant city, okay, the Roman church, like where this took place it was a it was a a giant city, and so it stands to reason that in paul's many journeys, he not only came across people who lived in Rome but also would have relocated to Rome after he met them and so this letter that he writes to them it often has a a friendly tone okay um it also um, at sometimes times it's pretty blunt, Okay, both indicating that Paul had familiarity with those who would be reading this letter. And so Romans addresses both Jewish and Gentile Christians together and separately. It speaks of the human condition as seen through God's eyes and explains all that he did to restore us into right relationship with him. Romans ends, and when I say ends, I mean like the last four chapters or so, Romans ends with speaking about the ethical implications of experiencing the salvation of Christ. And that's where we're actually going to begin today. So we're going to be in chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 9 through 21. If you want to follow along in your Bible app or in a Bible or on the screen, you have lots of options here this morning. But Romans 12, 9 says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. I'm going to read it again. I love this verse. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. There should be thunder when you say that word. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Genuine love reflects the Father's love and is a fruit, is the fruit really, that a Christian must bear. Last week, I came up with some really awesome analogies. They were pretty poetic and powerful. If you'll remember, I stumbled through speaking about how as Christians, we should be, uh, God trees planted in, like, God soil and bear God fruit, right? I mean, it was wonderful. Uh, But that was sarcasm in case you don't know me very well, okay? But when we love others, our love must be a genuine love that reflects the Father's love, and it is a fruit. It is what must come out of our lives as Christians. You see, a distinction between a Christian and a non-Christian is this genuine love, And as we look at the word genuine love, it comes from a Greek word, anipokritos, a lot of syllables there, anipokritos, a genuine love that literally, literally in the Greek, a love that contains no hypocrisy, a love that contains no hypocrisy. And it's really easy in verse 9 to look at these multiple statements as separate statements, right? Let love be genuine, being one statement, and abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good, being a second statement. But these statements are actually tied together. You see, the second part of that statement describes the first. What does genuine love look like? What does God's love look like? What does love without hypocrisy look like? It abhors evil. It hates it. It abhors evil, and it clings to what is good. Abhors is a goosebump word. It's like, I've got them up here, and I don't know if it's the caffeine or the word or the Lord, but man, we are rolling today. It holds fast. Genuine love holds fast. It clings to the edge of a cliff, as if a person clings to the edge of a cliff when the only other option is to die, Right? is to die. I got to tell you I've started working out with Chase over like the past year and a half and we're doing pull-ups and when I say we are doing pull-ups I mean that cuz I can't do a pull-up on my own Chase like it's like dirty dancing. He kind of helps <laughs> lift me up in the air, right? But I'm getting some pull. I'm actually getting some like before I started working out, if I was on the edge of the cliff, literally the option is death. Like it's like I'm tired, I'd better just try to do something fantastic in the air so it at least looks good as I go, right? But I want you to think about that imagery. I want you to think about that imagery. We've all seen movies where somebody's holding on for dear life, right? And they dig and their nails just crack and they bleed and we're clinging with everything that we have to what is good. What is good? This is the love of God, that it hates evil and it only has room for good. Good and evil exist in light of god see without him there is no measuring tool what he says is good what he says is evil is evil there is no room on the fence for us as christians to perch we don't get to be in the middle we either stand for what is good or we accept or stand for what is evil And we know what is good and what is evil in light of who God is. We have to be on the right side of sin. We have no option. We have to be brave enough to call a sin a sin. See, not to do so is the opposite of loving. It destroys the purpose of God's love, which is to bring us into right relationship with him. We have to be brave enough to call a sin a sin. Romans 12.10 tells us to love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. You see, just like with verse 9, these two statements are connected. We are to love one another as we would love a member of our family. This type of love is natural and it's free-flowing, which is what our love for our family, at least in the beginning, starts out as, right? As we're babies, as we're children, before we've been ruined and twisted and turned. And some of us have had really bad experiences with family. We have this natural free flowing love where we think this is my mother. This is my father. This is my brother and sister. I love them. Why? Because they are family. And that is the type of love that we are supposed to have for everyone in our life. It is supposed to be free flowing and it is supposed to be, be natural This love is characterized by chasing inferiority. I want you to hear that. This love is characterized by chasing inferiority, by choosing second in our relationship with others. I want you to remember back to our series on humility when we looked at Philippians in chapter two, verse three, when it said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This verse comes from a specific section in scripture that talks about Christ's example. Christ's example. You see, when we love one another with brotherly affection, we follow Christ's example of loving sacrificially, of choosing second place in our relationships. And by doing so, we lift others up to a place of honor in our stead. Pay attention hear this. One of the things that we sacrifice is the comfort of avoiding confrontation as we abhor evil and we cling to what is good. I'm going to say it one more time. One of the things we sacrifice is the comfort of avoiding confrontation as we abhor, we hate, we detest what is evil and we cling to what is good. Too many of us, serve a God whose love is based in accepting our will, and that is a false God. Too many of us serve a God whose love is based in accepting our will, and that is a false God. Well, God is love, and this is how I feel, so God loves me, so God would accept this. That is not God. That is some mythical great being that you have created that would never tell you no and give you a participation trophy. And God doesn't hand out participation trophies. He just doesn't. Does God love you? He absolutely loves you. But what does God's love look like? It looks like this. He abhors evil. He hates sin. And he loves what is good. And he wants you to be good. And so he will not, he cannot accept your sin. And as his followers, as his believers, we cannot accept it either. We can still love you despite your sin. We can still treat you as we would want to be treated. We can still love you as our neighbor. But understand that to do so, To do so means that we cannot accept your sin, and we must bring your sin to the light. And not just that, we have an expectation for you that you will do that for us also. So when you sin, I will say, brother, sister, you are sinning. And when I sin, you will say, brother, you are sinning. And together, we will pull each other out of the darkness and into the light. There are some famous musicians, or not musicians, magicians. Those are very different things. Sometimes you have a musician who is a magician, right? But... There's some very famous magicians, Penn and Teller. You guys all know who Penn and Teller is. I don't which one's which? Somebody help me. Who's the real tall one? Is that Pin or is that Teller? Anybody? Okay, it doesn't matter. If somebody wants to look that up, you can help me out. But I don't know. Probably something I should have looked at before this, but I didn't know I was gonna say it. So here we go. There are two magicians, Penn and Teller. They're a duo, one's short and. Frizzy hair, and one's tall and has a ponytail, and they do magic, right? The one doesn't ever talk. The big one, he does nothing but talk, right? (laughs) He is also a devout, and I mean a devout atheist, at the very least agnostic, right? But I'm pretty sure atheist. Like, he does not think God exists, and he thinks, for the most part, that Christians are foolish for believing that God exists. But you know what also he believes? This is something I find very powerful from the lips of an atheist person. He also believes that if a Christian believes what a Christian believes and does not share their faith with him, that they must hate him. You know what he actually says? I have no respect for a Christian who won't share their faith. I have no respect for a Christian who who won't share their faith, who won't call sin a sin. I have no respect for somebody who won't Deliver the genuine love of God if they actually believe what the Bible says. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And that if someone is living in sin, they will experience death. But we have Christ. We have Christ who gave his life and sacrificed himself so that those who were destined for death, those who would experience and had no other option but to experience death might have eternal life through the forgiveness offered to him. And he says, if you really believe that, if you really believe that, and you're afraid to share your faith with me because you think I'm gonna laugh at you or you think I'm gonna reject you or you think I'm gonna turn my nose up at you, I do not respect you. Because how could you possibly believe that and not at the very least try to convert me? Even if you know I might find it offensive, even if you know that I reject it. For us to truly believe that, we have to be able to share the truth with others. Too many of us serve a God based in accepting our will, and that is a false God. And because we serve that God, we don't want to offend others because... God loves everybody and we're all gonna live in a utopian, non-existent society. It goes on to say in Romans twelve eleven, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. The focus you see of verse 11 is the service of the Lord, which is again characterized by two things said earlier in the verse. It is zealous, it is zealous, it means that it's diligent, it's consistent, it takes place without hesitation and it's fervent in spirit. See when you start to break down like the original Greek, sometimes you get these really cool things and what's taking place in this verse is a Greek idiom. It's a saying like it's raining cats and dogs, but, it, but it's something that they would say and it, what it really means to, to be fervent in spirit is to be boiling in spirit, Listen. That boy is boiling in spirit right there. He is boiling. You know what I'm saying? I wish we still used it. I'm going to try to bring it back. That boy is boiling in spirit right there. If you don't like that, you don't like, you don't have feelings right now. You're sleeping. Some of you are sleeping. Wake up. Okay. I'm just teasing. I love you. No, I, I'm not teasing, but I still love you. Okay. Boiling in spirit, right? Boiling. I want you to think about things that are boiling, right? Boiling. I don't, am I being crazy right now? I don't care boiling in spirit okay like boiling water our service for the lord is active it is rolling and it should be giving off heat and as we serve we are to as romans 12 and 13 says to us rejoice in hope be patient in tribulation be constant in prayer contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality as a result of our love and service rendered to god we will face persecution When we are determined to call a sin a sin, to have a backbone, to not just let anything be okay, to say that in light of God, there is good and evil, and our job is to choose good and to encourage others to choose good and to seek forgiveness when we choose evil. If we render this service to the Lord, we will experience persecution. And in those times, we must rejoice in hope, which is Christ Jesus. Our hope is Christ Jesus. We must be patient in tribulation, not seeking to get out of it as soon as we can, but understanding that sometimes it's okay to be uncomfortable. Sometimes it's okay to be uncomfortable. And we must be constant in prayer. We must pray without ceasing. We we can't give up. And that's a problem that a lot of Christians face is we just give up too easily. We pray and we pray and we pray and we pray, and it doesn't seem like things are changing, and so we stop praying. We stop praying. But that conversation can't ever end. See, as we stand up for biblical truths, as we again abhor evil and cling to the goodness of God, we will open ourselves up to criticism and persecution. We will be called bigots. We will be told that we are closed-minded. We will be labeled hate-mongers and hypocrites. Here's what I want you to be encouraged by. Here's what I want you to know as Christian believers. When we are persecuted for our principles, we must return their curse with a blessing. When we are persecuted for our principles, we must return their curse with a blessing. Why do I say that? Because Romans 12:14 says, "Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I want to take you to Christ as he's nailed and dying on a cross as he is literally being crucified after being beaten and rejected and spit upon. What were his words that he asked of God? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the face of the ultimate persecution, he asked for a blessing on their behalf. So I know, I know that if Christ if 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 my savior can offer grace in that moment then i can offer grace in situations which are of far less magnitude right the reason that Christ was able to do that is because he was able to empathize with these people. He was able to put himself in their shoes to, to see their confusion and, and their misunderstanding and he was able to love them anyways, which is what we have to be able to do. We have to be able to empathize with people in their suffering and in their ignorance, but also in their successes. Romans 12, 15 and 16 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. You see, without empathy, harmony is non-existent. Okay? It just told us that our goal was harmony, but we're going to take it a step further in, in just a moment. Here's what you have to understand. Being able to put ourselves in other shoes is a prerequisite for giving them grace in times when they are our trial. I'm going to say that one more time, and I want you to hear the ending. Being able to put others, put ourselves in other shoes, is a prerequisite for giving them grace in times when they are our trial. You ever had a person who was your trial, huh? Where you thought, you know what would be really good is if I could like three hundred Spartan kick you down a deep hole, like Gerard (laughs) Butler. This is Spartan, like get away from me. You have all had people in your life, they're your trial, where you're thinking like, I don't know whether to pray for you or put you in a chokehold. It may be both. (laughs) It might be both, right? But being able to put ourselves in their shoes, being able to empathize with, with their struggles and with their humanity and with their sin, because we are human and we sin, that is a prerequisite for being able to give them grace in times when we want to choose the kick, being able to celebrate people during their successes is a a sign that we have a proper sense of self. Remember the second half of that verse says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Here's where you stand as a Christian. You are better than no one. We are better than no one. The difference between us and a non-believer is Christ. That's it. That's it. We are sinners, we are all sinners, we are sinners saved by grace, but you are better than no one, right? It is the sick who come to the hospital who need a doctor, not the well. We are here because we know that we are sinners, we know that we struggle, we know that we need forgiveness. That is why we are here. We are better than no one. We are wiser than no one. Here's something that took me a while to learn, because I was a really smart kid, and it it took a pretty uh, confrontational um, uh, conversation with my grandfather, who I know I talk about him a lot, but it's because he's meant so much to my life, but I'll tell you this, and he won't like that, I'll say this, but I'm going to tell you anyways, he is literally the smartest person you have ever met. He is. He is the, I mean, uh, you may know a lot of intelligent people, the dude graduated high school at like 15, he graduated jury at 18, Uh, I mean, like... The dude is just super intelligent, and he just knows things. Like Jericho's like, "Why well, do you just know random things?" And I don't know why, but like, watch Jeopardy with my grandpa. I don't remember the last time he missed a question when I was in his presence. Like, he's been a thousand for a thousand in my lifetime, and he would automatically be like, "I miss him all the time." Well, I haven't heard you, so get over it, right? But it took a really confrontational, loving conversation with my grandfather where he basically told me like, "Hey, you know, true intelligence doesn't have to be proven." If you're really smart, you don't have to like tell everybody all the time. You don't have to put it on the forefront. People will naturally see it. You need to choose humility and and grace and that's real wisdom. You see, real wisdom doesn't find its worth in being heard and accepted. It finds its worth in truth. Wisdom is wise because it is true. Not because a bunch of people have listened to it. Not because a bunch of people have heard you and said, oh, I think I'll change my mind. Wisdom is wisdom because it is true. And so we must see others as better than ourselves. And we can share wisdom when we have wisdom that is foundationally found in God. If they don't accept it, does that make it any less true? No, it does not. But we also don't have to continue to beat people over the head until they eventually say, sure, whatever you want. Let's... Look at Proverbs 6, 25, 6 and 7. It says, do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great for it is better to be told, come up here than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. I just realized that I'm pretty sure that my, what I'm reading from today is ESV and that's NIV. So if you're seeing a difference in what I'm reading and what it's saying, you the man. Okay. Anyways. Okay. Right? Read it again. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come on up here, than to be told, get away from me. Right? That's like the message version or something. I don't know. (laughs) Romans 12, 17 through 21 goes on to say, repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to call your attention back to verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, we all know that harmony is not always a possibility, right? It just isn't. But it certainly is the goal. And as believers, as a Christian, peace must mark our lives. It must mark our lives. Discord, a lack of peace, should never exist because of you. It should never exist because of a believer. Remember Matthew 5.9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Rather than seek vengeance and seek retribution, we should trust God to be our defender and instead forego the desire for justice at our own hands to let him take care of it. And by doing so, by doing so, by loving them in light of their evil, we will heap burning coals on their heads. Guys, the Bible's literal advice is to kill them with kindness. It's a literal advice. Kill them with kindness. What happens if you heap burning coals on someone's head? They will die. It is painful. They will not like it. They will try to move from the position that they find themselves in. And yet that's how we're supposed to treat our enemy. We are supposed to kill them with kindness. We're supposed to not return what they have given to us. This is a change from the Old Testament eye for an eye, right? This is turning the other cheek. This is you have been evil to me, but I will choose to be good to you because God has been good to me and that is what he requires of me. And so as I abhor evil and I cling to what is good, I will choose good over this evil. I will choose good over this evil and so I will kill them with kindness. These things that we have talked about today, they are the marks of a true Christian. They are the marks of a true Christian. This is how people will experience righteousness in God daily, through you, by the way you treat them. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You get to be a part of God's mission. You get to be a part of people's story. But we must reflect the righteousness of God in the way that we live our lives. There's a a saying that has become popular as of recent that says let the gospel be the offense. Right? Not my will, not my ways, not my thoughts not what I think, but just the truth, the gospel. Let's live so that if anything offends anyone, it's the word of God. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now and I thank you for this day. I thank you for your scripture and for the the message that you deliver to us, God. As we look at what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a believer, what it means to follow your will for our lives and to really love others. God, we have to understand and know that, that in order to love other people, we must hate what is evil and we must only look to what is good. And we have to be brave enough to call sin, sin. We have to because the only thing that that does is corrupt the love of God, which entire purpose, again, is to bring people back into right relationship with you. And if we change the message found in Scripture, and if we change what the Gospel really is, and if we tell people that the love of God is only accepting them for who they are, then, God, we are not doing it correctly. As Jesus told the Pharisee, we must be born again. We are all sinners. We are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We have all been born in ways that, that lead us to certain sin. God, some of those sins are on the forefront. They're so out in the open that they can't be hidden and the rest of us maybe have it what we would consider easy because we can sin in silent, but God, it doesn't make it any less of a sin. We need the forgiveness of God, which has been provided for us through the blood of Christ. And we are called to show others that love And that love is willing to have tough conversations. And in our world today, we have to be a beacon of light in a sea of darkness. Help us to have the courage. Help us to be brave enough. Help us to stand on the principles of truth found in the holy word of God. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Some of you out there today, you need Jesus. We all need Jesus. We know that. But maybe you've never committed yourself to a personal relationship with Him. Maybe, maybe you haven't committed yourself to saying, I'm going to bend my will to, to God's will because that is what God expects of me and He is worthy of that type of, of obedience. And if you need a relationship with Christ and you want to talk about what that looks like today, this is the best time to do it. Come, let's have that discussion. Don't let another day pass without you at least thinking about, if I were to die today, where am I going to end up? That, I think, is the most important question any of us can answer. Some of you are really struggling. You're really struggling because guess what? Life is hard and sin is Present and we are not perfect. But there is grace to be had for you at the feet of our God and you need to pray. And you need to pray. Come pray with me. Come pray with me or, or use our stage as an altar and just go to God directly. Some of you just need some time where you can ask God what He wants from you and stop and listen. Some of you need to worship and just thank God for where He's got you in this place today. Whatever you need in this time and in this moment, this time is yours to reflect and to respond, not to me, not to what I'm asking, but to what God is calling you to do today. Stand with us now. Worship, pray, ask God what it is that he wants from you, and then have the courage, have the courage to step out in faith and to do what he's asking. You will be rewarded. Let's worship now.